a lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins and Broken Bells. This is Story Behind the Song on Consequence. New slang and phantom limb. What do those song titles and the lyrics that follow even mean? Well, first, let's not be obsessed with being literal. And more importantly, they mean one thing and one thing only. They come from the mind of James Mercer, who, with a rotating group of band members, is the great indie group The Shins. Mercer and his band first broke out of Albuquerque, New Mexico in 2001 as an indie darling with their first single, New Slang. But it wasn't until three years later when the song was featured front and center in the indie classic film Garden State that the shins broke out big and then stayed there. In that great film, one of the two leads, played by Natalie Portman, tells the Zach Braff character that he needs to hear this great song, New Slang, because it will change your life. And that it did for Mercer and his band. Since that time, the shins continued their parade of great songs with Mercer's signature enigmatic and surrealistic lyrics, including Phantom Limb from his third album. Then, at the height of the band's indie cred and popularity, Mercer took a hiatus from the shins to form Broken Bells with Danger Mouse, and there too released great music that found a wide audience that continues today. Hard to believe, but this year marks the 20th anniversary of the shins' critically acclaimed second album, Shoots Too Narrow, and Mercer joins me here to celebrate that milestone. I asked James to go deep into two songs, New Slang and Phantom Limb. In the process, our very candid and personal discussion revealed some deeply personal and touching motivations behind those songs. It's an interview that breaks new ground of understanding. So take a listen as we dive deep into the story behind the song's new slang and phantom limb with James Mercer of The Shin. It's a big year for you. You're celebrating, well, it's, I'm sure it's always a big year, but you're <laughs> celebrating 20 years of your second album, Shoots Too yeah. Narrow. So how does that feel 20 years later? I mean, it's funny because I remember working on that record and the pressures that were on because it was like the sophomore record, you know, and it seems like it was just yesterday. I guess time just really flies. I've, I've been so busy, I guess, since then, you yeah, know? I, so I'd that say. was, yeah, I think I was like, I would have been about 32 when I started, 31, 32 when I started working on that one. Yeah, but here I am, 52. <laughs> I know. It's, it, well, it's pretty amazing how fast it does go. It's uh, crazy. And so much great music in between. Just a little background for everybody. James and The Shins, truly one of my favorite bands of the last 20 years, and I don't say that lightly. I've seen you in concert. I love the music was with you from the very beginning. Well, not from the very beginning when your band before the shins mm -hmm. and obviously also broken bells too. And so like they transitioned from, from 
doing shins and having such a successful third album and then taking a, a, a break from that a little bit to do Broken Bells. But let's get right into your musical journey, first of all, of how you even started your interest, your interest in music, mm-hmm. picking up the guitar, your first songs. If you can just give me a little guided tour of that. Right. Yeah, you know, my dad was a big music fan and he was also a singer. He did kind of a nightclub act. So he would kind of supplement the income by, you know, maybe three nights a week, he would play country music at a nightclub just as a one man band. And then there was a period when we lived in Germany, he was actually fronting a proper bar band. So I was always surrounded by that stuff. He was always practicing, getting ready for shows and stuff and, you know, rehearsing whatever the latest songs were that he thought the crowd would want to hear. Just a really pragmatic thing, you know, like I just got to entertain them for an hour and a half or so while they're drinking and uh, having dinner or whatever. So I would, I was around that. I think that was a big thing for me because it, it made it feasible, I guess, that you could do this and you don't, you don't have to be a huge success even at it, but it was something that was fun. And my friends thought was really interesting about our family. Yeah. So did he, um, did you pick up a guitar early? Is that how it started? I really didn't. When I was about 15, I decided I wanted to learn how to play keyboards because that was sort of the aesthetic of the day, kind of the new wave era, I guess. And so I thought, well, that's, I didn't want to be like my dad, I guess, which a lot of 15 year olds would, would feel that way, I suppose. So I took some piano lessons, which didn't go very far because it was just really awkward. I, I was, (laughs) I was dating a girl whose her ex-boyfriend was really tight friends with the piano teacher. So there were just these awkward moments where I was doing chopsticks or something on the piano with the mom. And then the dudes would come downstairs later, mom. (laughs) It was just, that was a little awkward. But anyway, I kind of lost interest in that. And I started messing around with my dad's acoustic. He had an old Gibson jumbo and he taught me a few chords, you know, and he encouraged me. He was like, you can learn three chords and play like half of the pop songs ever done. Three chords and the truth. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I started messing with that and immediately started trying to write songs. But I was horrible at it. Really rudimentary stuff. God, I was into The Cure and The Smiths and stuff like that. And I was into a little bit of like the early new wave stuff, like Sex Pistols and things like that. that huh. are, and The Ramones, which it's like, it's kind of easy to play some of those songs. Some yeah. of the Sex Pistols stuff is surprisingly intricate. But yeah, so I learned power chords and I got an amp. And then when I turned, when I was 17, my dad bought me a Fender Squire Strat. And he had an amp. He had a really nice Fender Pro Reverb. So I could use that. And they also got me a distortion pedal, a Boss Heavy Metal pedal is what it was called. That's cool. That's really cool. It's actually a really sought after pedal now, strangely. But I've still got that. And so I could, I was starting to figure out some of the technical side of it, I suppose. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't super great at it, really. You know, I wasn't like a prodigy of any kind. I just kept at it. The same with the songwriting, you know, I remember I would just do really simple chord structures, try and come up with a cool melody and then just work at it. And, you know, for for years, it was really just me imitating other styles and all that. And somewhere along the line in my 20s, I started to get some sort of a voice forming. Yeah. Yeah. And so when did you start feeling comfortable singing? Right. Like, yeah, even being on stage. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I met I met a kid named Neil Langford 
who unfortunately just passed. And he and I really hit it off. And he was into a lot of the same bands I was into at this time. So this is like 89. I graduated high school in England and then moved back to the States in 89. Met him at a hotel party that, you know, one of the kids with a fake ID (laughs) set up, I suppose. Yeah. And we hit it off and he was in a band. He was in a working band, a band called Subculture, (laughs) really kind of doing covers of REM songs and stuff like that. And then they had some material that they had written and he maybe six months later, he invited me to join the band as a backup guitarist. And I was terrified of going on stage, but he really encouraged me and kind of took my hand and got me up there. And I was now part of this. And so then I learned some of the ropes there. Like we're all underage, but we could play at nightclubs. You have to enter through the back, stuff like that. I love it. Yeah. So, and so that got me used to being on stage. And then I did a little backup singing and then, then he and I wanted to do something new and I was like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll go for it. I'll try and be the singer, you know? That is so fascinating. So it's not like you were singing your, as a young boy growing up and throughout your early days, it's something yeah. that almost sounds like you were a little reluctant to do and grew yeah. into it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm so thankful for those people who encouraged me. I mean, like my dad or like Neil, you know, who felt like, it'll be good if we can get this guy doing what we see him doing at the party, you know, when he's drunk, (laughs) if we can get him to do that on stage, it might be cool. So that's, I think what helped me a lot. That's very cool. And that then was it that band that transformed into flake and then flake music. You changed the name a little bit. Right. So Neil and I started a thing and then that kind of fell apart. And then we started another one and then flake. And, and yeah, and we, and we spent a few years doing flake and recorded an album and a 10 inch and some stuff. And I, the whole time I'm learning how to write songs better and starting to reach out for some, some unique perspective, I guess, songwriting wise and, and lyrically, you know, and, and just getting more and more serious. And, and at some point in the late nineties or mid nineties, I, I decided I wanted to do some stuff that wasn't necessarily designed for the Albuquerque nightlife scene, which was pretty heavy. They liked loud, you know, if it was poppy, it had to be like punk pop or metal pop somehow. I was going to ask you about the Albuquerque nighttime scene. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, there's always been a huge heavy metal fan base in Albuquerque. So, you know, like the first show I ever saw was, it was either Kiss or Van Halen. It must have been Van Halen. And Tingley Coliseum is this big place where, you know, half the time it's filled with dirt in the pit and they do a rodeo. And then Van Halen. Or monster come. trucks. <laughs> or monster trucks. They totally do that there. Yeah. All that stuff. And then they'll do shows, you know. But, you know, it was like heavy metal parking lot. I was like 12 or something. Rolling my Let me just ask you the obvious question. The name, The Shins, how did that come to you? What, yeah. To be honest, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I know that <laughs> I, had, I had been growing up watching The Music Man. You know that okay. musical? Yeah, of course. Oh, terrific musical. In fact, the Beatles covered uh, a song off of their, off that soundtrack. And my dad loved that. And so he had bought the master copy. Remember when you'd pay 50 bucks and you'd get a videotape that had a fancy cover? Yeah, <laughs> so I, this is, I do. <laughs> yeah. So this is the 80s, right? 
and so we had that and it was a big deal. And once in a while we'd watch it and I loved it. I loved the songs and everything. And in that film, there's a family called the Shins. In fact, Marion, the librarian, her last name is Shin, Marion Shin. And so there's moments where somebody, the music man will come up and say, are the Shins home? And it was just something that sounded so random and interesting and was kind of a part of my life. I wanted a band name that did not really call anything to mind. That was kind of strange and mysterious, you know, I don't know. It's well, an okay name. It with, works. Yeah, no, and very consistent just the way you just described it with your lyrics that <laughs> yeah. aren't obvious. Yeah. And so is James, is that a natural part of who you are? Do you think that it's just I, I do is find is it intentional that you right. want to not be obvious? I suppose there's a bit of that. I do find myself once in a while trying to explain something and using descriptives that don't quite sync the right way or that don't quite work with the way it's I'm being perceived. Um, so maybe I just struggle to be succinct sometimes, <laughs> but also there is a side of me where I want to talk about things that are disturbing to me, maybe even upsetting, but I'm not comfortable revealing exact, the exact details of it. So maybe it's about a relationship I'm having and some issue or, you know, even with friends or something I see in society, but I feel like my perspective on it might not be approved of or something. <laughs> so you kind of use a metaphor or something like that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. What is your process for songwriting then? Is it yeah. you, is it generally one way or is it sometimes the lyrics first, the music first? Or how How does that happen with you? Yeah, it's almost always me sitting with an acoustic guitar and just kind of searching for interesting chords. And at the same time, I'm still learning how, how chords relate to each other. And so therefore, sometimes I make mistakes. And one talent that's been very good for me is that when I hear a mistake, I don't immediately judge it as bad. I'm open to errors that end up being serendipitous. So I, and I don't know why that is, but I think I'm very lucky to have that because I'm not a real theorist about songwriting. And so I do make mistakes and sometimes it's interesting. You know, that's really interesting that you say that. And I'm going to digress for a second, just because, you know, I do a lot of writing about AI and how it's impacting yeah. music and True. artistry and all that. And I, I just believe that there's something unique in the soul, the human soul that stands mm. out and has a connection with yeah. other humans that AI will never be able to replicate. Yeah. And it's not that I fear technology, but that's just how I feel. And one of the things that I wrote about was, and Rick Rubin was talking about this in his book about the creative process that just was published this year, yeah. that what makes things special is error. Yeah, that there's, that's great. It's not perfect. Something isn't right. perfect. Even the performance, you know, so the, the flaws in the performance sometimes are what add intrigue and a, just a, a sense of being there, I think, as you're listening. Yeah, that's that's interesting, you know, and I suppose there's going to be AI music that will be successful, but I hope that it, it's it's sort of a novelty thing. And it's it's because there's a lot of music, honestly, that does well, that sounds like it could have been AI. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's like, yeah. whatever, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's great, whatever, you know, it's the nightclub thing or whatever. But yeah, you know, I, I think there's always going to be a place for somebody being earnest and, you know, letting it out. 
And, and yeah. yeah, how is AI going to do that? It's funny. A buddy of mine went on to chat GPT and he told it to write a shin song like lyrics. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and it was surprisingly good in that it, it was all right. It's just that it was, it, you know, to me, it just seemed melodramatic and, and it was dark, but it was just dark in a predictable way, you know? So it's funny how it gets like some color correct, but yeah, it's not anything I would have come up with. Well, you know, it's, and I think you are such a great example of the artisanry that comes with, with artistry and mm -hmm. you are an artisan and let's get into new slang from mm. your, your debut song, really, I think from your debut album. Yeah. And that was released in 2001. And obviously I want to ask about the gardens, garden yeah. state soundtrack sure. too, of course, but tell me about the, just the spark that started new slang, you know, what you were going through, what mm -hmm. sparked that and your creative process behind that song. Right. Well, interestingly, so one of the reasons I started the shins was, was because there were certain songs I was writing that didn't translate well to the stage. Like I said, in Albuquerque, when everybody's partying and drinking and stuff. And that was one of those songs. So I had introduced that to flake and it, it just kind of, it was obvious that it's going to be the boring part of the set. You know, <laughs> so why do we want that? So I was like, well, I'll do this other project and I can do those songs and who knows what'll happen. It'll be fun for me and I'll learn about recording. And, and so I set about doing that. So that was one of those, one of those songs. And, you know, I don't know. I think I loved a lot of the country and Western songs that my dad would play when I was a kid. And I think, you know, this is my mid to late twenties. And I think I was beginning to be a bit nostalgic and fascinated with how those songs had been written and the aesthetic of the past. And so I, I think it was a bit of that. I mean, it was kind of, it's almost like a Marty Robbins Lonesome Cowboy vibe on that song, mm -hmm. you know, which was out of nowhere as far as the pop culture of the day. And I, I just, yeah, I remember I just had the verse and then I had a bridge thing that I was obsessed with for a long time and ended up not working. So I had basically a, a verse and then a chorus, and then it just was too simple. And so I remember setting down and trying to figure out some sort of an intro for it. What could that be? And that's where that sort of the lonesome cowboy intro, the little vocal part happened. And then it was like, okay, now it's a song. And I didn't think too much of it. I liked it. But then a buddy of mine was, he's a computer coder. So at the time he was making websites for his friends and stuff like that. And so he made a Shins website for me, a guy named Chris Kosky, who's a wonderful dude. And so he was able to post the song in, in some sort of primitive streaming thing. So yeah. we had that on his server, the file, and people could listen to it. And um, suddenly, like, it was crazy, but maybe a month in, it was funny because that it had spread word of mouth amongst the Albuquerque scene. And suddenly girls were interested in me. They, like, see, there was so much heavy metal going on in the Albuquerque scene that they yeah. they heard something very different than what sensitive. Is this? And they, <laughs> yeah, and it was just it was interesting to me that yeah, and so um, I was like, oh, there's something about that song, I guess. So that ended up going on a, a CD of some other early Shin stuff that I had been working on, and through several events, it ended up in the hands of Sub Pop. Very interesting, and yeah. so the lyrics, which again, mm. as I've said, are are enigmatic, 
did they just flow out of you in you know naturally or did right. it take a long time did you put a, was there a lot of thinking about it how did that all happen i recall that it did come fairly quickly during that period i was i had a lot of angst in me i was unhappy with my life <laughs> you know it's my late 20s now i haven't really got anything going on as far as a career goes and so i knew i was going to have to figure something out i wanted to find love and like get married i I've always thought of myself as one day being a father. I just, even as a kid, you know, so I knew I couldn't afford to do that. <laughs> you know, I didn't like my job. I was in a relationship that was kind of falling apart slowly. So yeah, I, I think I was writing about that angst, that late twenties, like I got to get my life together. The, the anxiety that comes from that. So gold teeth and a curse for this town were all in my mouth. Only I don't know how they got out, you know, and that's me feeling like I'm privileged, right? Because I had a good family life and I did get to go to college and all this stuff. But then now I'm in this situation that I'm completely bummed about. Um, so what do I do and what's going to happen to me? How am I ever going to work this out? I couldn't picture myself in any profession being successful. And that's a disturbing thing for a young man, I think. Well, and also it's it's a great lesson for people out there too, who are in their 20s or you know young people who are you know, feel the pressure to have it all figured out well, yeah. immediately. Right. And my, you know, I've got a 16 year old now and she's heading into her junior year and it's time to start thinking about colleges and all that stuff. And man, when I was 16, I didn't know anything. I just didn't know what I wanted to be or what I was even capable of doing. You know? Yeah, so, no, so I hear you. I've, I I've feel a 23 year old and 20 year old and, yeah, and they're tough. both artists, you know, types. Yeah. And so yeah. it's tough. You know, it's, well, it is, but you know, yours is such a great story because it was your late twenties when the shins really began and broke out, and mm -hmm. in your very late twenties. Yeah, and so I which, which I think you. I'm lucky for that because I think if I had had success when I was 21 or something, it might have been just too much. I mean, I don't know that I would have been able to take it. I mean, you know, you have money for the first time and strange sort of adulation and. Yeah. It, 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 and obviously it can be very dangerous for young people to get too much success. And you're in the nightclub all the time. You're always drinking to get ready for the show. And it just, it's so maybe I was lucky that it took me so long. When you look at the lyrics that flow out of you mm -hmm. and you, you kind of gave your state of mind when you were saying gold teeth yeah, and Chris for this town, do you ever look at them and go, wow, how how did that happen or d not at all like do you have a reaction to them yourself because they are not obvious at least to those of I us who you. aren't you yeah right yeah sure which is kind of a scary feeling because yeah it's a bit mysterious to me too like what is exactly going on in the mind when it comes up with something that really works and you're stoked on it but you don't know that you could ever repeat the process you know because you're just kind of feeling your way through the dark and yeah. you know but exploring and you do it long enough i feel like you find something you know if i'm stuck on lyrics i often will sit in front of the tv and just turn it way down but you can barely hear things and just put on really dumb shows you know just walker texas ranger or something you know <laughs> something on those b-list channels that exist still yeah and, you know, and then the commercials come on and there's just always something weird on TV. You know? So that can help. Well, it's interesting because even on that point, little ideas serendipitously come into your, your yeah. brain. So watch just out for them. The, yeah. Watch out Good for point. them, you know. 
You have to, and, yeah, yeah. You have no, to kind I of be that's... listening while you're doing it. It's strange. So you have to develop that skill, I think. And I don't think I had that skill when I first started. I just wanted it so, to sound like Echo and the Bunnymen. So yeah, yeah, well, that's if you're only going to be happy if it sounds like an Echo and the Bunnymen song. Well, that's going to be difficult. You're not those guys. So what does the title mean if it has a literal meaning or if it doesn't have a literal meaning? But I, again, I'm oh, just yeah. curious what new slang, right. how that came out. Yeah. You know, originally it, I was calling it When You Notice the Stripes, which is another, that's the second part of that line. Yeah. But new slang in my, I guess I was picturing somebody in a, just being exasperated when they notice the stripes, which I is a, to me, that's a person wearing prison garb. You're trapped, you know. <laughs> so I'm just ruining the song by saying what I was thinking. Well, I I almost hate to ask you <laughs> meaning, but uh, more the process of coming up with the title yeah. because it's not in the lyrics itself. Right. Well, I guess it is. Well, I go point. yeah because there's a line yeah. news yeah. slang when you notice the stripes. Yeah. yeah. So and then I think when you notice the stripes just sounded wordy to me. So it came out when it came out on Sub Pop. It was when you notice the stripes, and then we changed it later. And yeah. they were willing to change it, so they must have agreed. So the song takes on a life and very popular, or yeah. it's very it it. it has an immediate audience of yes. some kind. And you know, it, it, interestingly, so we had gone out and opened up for Modest Mouse in Texas. When I was in Flake, we had met them, opening up for them on a little tour we did. And there I gave out and sold a couple for five bucks of these CDs. Sold some of those CDs with four or five songs on it. One was New Slang. Then it ended up on Napster. And, and it spread. The bad Napster. Yeah, the old Napster, right? Yeah. That, but it was good for us because I think Sub Pop was able to see that, oh, this thing is like, it's already being distributed. Kids like it. There's an audience out there for this stuff. So how did, so it took on that life, mm -hmm. driven by the bad Napster. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is an interesting happenstance just yeah. on that level. But then how did Zach Braff find it for Garden State? Man, a great movie, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy that he found us. I, gosh, I think that he's just an avid follower of indie music and stuff, and he just bought the record when it came out on Sub Pop right away. He must have because it it was we were on tour for O Inverted, o Inverted World, and Sub Pop had bought me a cell phone so that they could contact me because things were kind of happening. And I got a call from Stuart at Sub Pop and they said, there's this new director, indie director, and he wants to use a couple of your songs in his movie. And he's already kind of famous, this guy, because he's on a, he's in a comedy TV show, a sitcom. And so we recommend you let him use it. Let's just do it. You know? And I was like, yeah, totally. That's amazing. I don't, we never discussed money or anything. I have no idea yeah. if we even, you know, received it. I think it was like he's doing an indie film, let him use it. It's great for you. It's like a free video for your song. Yeah. Hello. James, one second. One second. We have Daryl McDaniel. I'm going to be speaking with of Run DMC. How much too early? Yeah. <laughs> nice to meet you, Daryl. Come back on. It, it, How you doing, James? Good. What's happening? In a half hour, if you don't mind. Okay, but, yeah, I was just make I was trying to see if it worked. No, but, I didn't know what people was going to be. Here. But I love it. I love this. Like well, I think yes. we should keep this in actually. <laughs> I did the same thing. I was on like a half hour before cuz I was like I'm going to ruin this thing. Yeah, you want to make sure <laughs> yeah. it works and stuff. So, this is real fun. Do the two of you know each other? Nope. Yes. No, I mean, you Well, know, yeah, I know of you. you haven't met yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, 
uh, Daryl, of course. Of, so, well, now we do. That's right. And, and, and James of, you know, the shins. So it's, th- yes. this is wonderful. This is like, I'm really enjoying this, but. Shin, let's just call it Shindy. <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep this in. We have yeah. to keep this in. But yeah, Daryl, if you don't mind, then we'll start in a half hour. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Nice, nice to meet you. you, James. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. That's awesome. It's like, no, that, it's like in the old days, you'd run into people on the street and here it just happens <laughs> online. <laughs> I think that is, that's never happened before. You never know. There may be a great collab that's, that's yeah. there someplace, you know, well, that, that'd be cool. You never know. Yeah. But so you were talking, that's, that's really funny. So you were talking about how it happened with Zach and yeah, yeah. you know, I think he just, he heard it and I, you know, he, he knew that he wanted a certain aesthetic for his new film and, yeah and he loved a bunch of the new indie music out there. And I was lucky enough to be one of those bands he chose and it just, it worked out great for us, man. It was, you know, it just changed everything for us, you know, because we, let me see that. So then we just go about our lives after this phone call and I say, yeah, let him music. Cool. It's years later. You know, I do a, we tour that whole year. Then I go into the studio and I'm writing and then recording. And then we go out and we tour for another year. And then at the end of that, we're done. And I'm like, okay, on to the next record, whatever. And we get a call from Sub Pop again. And they say the movie came out last week or something. And it's a hit movie. And not only that, the scene is Natalie Portman. We didn't know Natalie Portman was going to be in the movie. It's crazy. And she says the name, the shins and all that, you know, and they were just so excited. And then all of these colleges across the country wanted us to come out and play their play the quad or whatever. So we, for the first time, got in a bus. We had a proper bus, like a tour bus, Uh, and uh. we toured the college scene, I guess, in the States. So we had a whole other tour that was basically based off that movie. Well, and Natalie Portman didn't just mention the shins. She says to Jack or to Zach Braff, that character. Yeah. You got to listen to this. It will change your life. (laughs) And it's such a powerful scene because frequently songs, of course, are licensed for movies, but very rarely where it takes such a central role in a film. And then to have your, the name of the band and the song, and it will change your life and all that sort of thing. And just a funny little thing. And is that that line was so pivotal in my own life that for so many things, like when somebody says a comment, or I say, you got to watch this movie. It will change your life. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. I say that all the time. Or every time I have somebody over for barbecue, I yeah. have this amazing, what we call Cardiff crack from Cardiff, California. It's amazing. Tri-tip. And I say, nice. you got to, you got to taste this. It will change, change your, your life. life. Yeah. It will change your life. Yes. Yes. I it's kind that's... of part of the vernacular now. Yeah. It's great. It really is. Yeah. It's really part of the vernacular. So I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back and we'll get into Phantom Limb. Okay. And uh, with James Mercer of The Shins. This is from your third album. Mm-hmm. Your second album, Shoots to Nera, as we were talking about, celebrates its 20th year. Phantom Limb is another one that's just such a fascinating song to me. So tell me about the process of that. And yeah. was it? Do you remember where you were when the first like germ of that song came to you? I know it was in Albuquerque and it was, it was probably something like 96 because it's another thing that I had introduced to the flake guys and just wasn't really working. Yeah. But in that early inception of it, it probably was 
I don't know, slower or just I was probably playing it softly. It just wasn't it became a kind of a high energy song when we finally did it. But yeah, and so I was like, okay, well, I'll just hold on to it and figure it out. I I did not have the chorus figured out at that early stage. So what we did in Flake is everybody would introduce whatever they had been messing with that they thought was cool. And then we as a group would finish the song. So it was really collaborative. And if you bring something in and the other guys are kind of nonplussed about it, then you just kind of move on to the next thing, you know. But I, let me see. So, so it was that little kernel and I did not decide to work on it for Shoots to Narrow. I had other songs, I think, that were, that were more close to being finished because that, because Phantom Limb was a struggle for me. It was hard for me to figure out where is this going? I basically just had the, the verse and it's kind of odd because there's, it's not a super, I guess, straightforward number of chords or whatever. At least for me, it was kind of awkward. And so then I just, I sat down and really tried to dig in and figure it out because I really liked the verse. And I was like, this is very interesting melody and the way it juxtaposes with the chords. I've got to be able to figure this out. So I buckled down and I remember this. I remember that Beck had come out with a song, man, it was maybe Summer Girl where he just, he, he put a, he put a part in that was just very straight. It was just cause he's so gifted and he's, he's a very intricate songwriter when he wants to be. But then in this song, he just went like blues progression in the middle, just whatever, just do that. So I decided I'm going to try that. I'll have something like that. And that's what I did. And it ended up really working. And that's that, the bridge, the whoa, whoa bridge. Yeah. So phantom limb, tell me, um, not asking you to be literal, but what that means to you. Right. The lyrics, the story. <laughs> yes. The title. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the title. Okay. Uh, I because, remember, James, I got to ask, how does that happen? Yeah, right. Well, I don't really know. I know that I remember thinking that this was going to be a love song that, that – this relationship is taking place in a situation that is just making everything very difficult. And I remember in my mind actually thinking visually, which I rarely ever do, but I was thinking, oh, a cool music video for this song would be two young girls who have fallen in love with each other, but they're in, you know, a high school situation or something. And they know that the society around them is not going to approve of this. And there are these misfit girls and they don't, I guess, you know, yeah. And they, they just, but the love is so strong and powerful that they're just going to leave it all behind. And they feel this confidence because they know in their hearts what they've got. And so I wanted to, it to feel empowering in moments, but also frightening. And, and I, I guess just sort of, you know, revealing the darkness of, of how scary it is to maybe not fit in sometimes. Was that a reaction to any specific thing at all that you that was being experienced at the time or that just a personal experience that you had at some point? Well, yeah, Neil Langford, the guy that, that got me on stage and everything, he had struggled his whole life because he was closeted and and I think it really hurt him. So I was very sensitive to that issue, I guess, because of that. And also after O Inverted World, he had kind of spiraled into addiction stuff. And um, I'm sorry, it's, uh, but he had just really struggled. So I just, no, I'm, I think that yeah, was and I'm so there. That was there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for sharing. I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm so no, sorry, obviously. I know it's just uh, so recent, but it's just, 
but he, he, he struggled for a long time and we always were trying to turn it around, but you know, he it just didn't happen, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, we all see like struggles around us of these kind of personal nature and just yeah. acceptance and love. And it's like the, the obvious things that sometimes are so hard to see out there. Right. I know. And it's tough too, because I think the damage that's done when you're in a certain window of development, when you're young, it just kind of doesn't go away, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. that's what's very sad and makes you as a parent realize, oh my God, I can't screw this up, you know? Yeah. No, I totally get that. Yeah. I totally get that. Well, it's, I appreciate you sharing the stories behind both of those songs. They're, they're great. One of the things I was going to tell you about just kind of a, a funny personal anecdote is that <laughs> because I know your music really, really well. And I have some very close friends, my best friend's wife. We, you know, she, she fancies herself deep in her mu music knowledge. And so we have a contest <laughs> with each other. And so like we do karaoke offs and I said, and she brought up Phantom Limb, you know, she oh. brought up the song and that was just very recently. It had nothing to do. Yeah. She had no idea that I was going to be speaking with you. She just brought up Phantom Limb and I said, okay, you're on. <laughs> And I know the song so well, <laughs> but the, she was mocking me because the, lyri the lyrics weren't coming out. And so we have rescheduled a new karaoke off like in three weeks. And the winners <laughs> has to buy somebody like something like a really expensive bottle of wine or something like that, or the loser has to. So anyhow, that's who it, judges, who a, judges the karaoke off. I think our, her husband and my, my yeah, wife. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to win this one. That's fine. No, it is fun. It's really fun. So just very quickly, and then I'm, I'm going to go rapid fire through like a lightning round because cool. we don't have much time. Okay. But 20th, the 20th anniversary of Shoots Too Narrow. Yeah. Are you going to do any special celebrations for that that we can all share in? Is there anything? Man. Do you plan to sing? Do you plan to tour? Do you, you know, anything along that people can look forward to? Well, gosh, I think Sub Pop will probably come up something with come up with something cool, but it'll be probably some online thing. I'm not in a okay. stage right now where I can tour, but yeah, we've got to come up with something and, and I'm sure my management and sub pop, we can come up with something cool. Yeah. We'll do something. I'll commit to it. Yeah. We're, we're clamoring. Okay. You heard it out here. James <laughs> is committing. He's committing yeah. to doing something for all of you out there who are big shins fans. No, that'd be fun. I, hopefully you'll come to Southern California and do some shows down here. So New music. Do you are you working on anything right now for the shins? Any new shins? Any new broken bells or anything else that just may be coming out under James Mercer or any or right. you know, another shingle? Right. Well, what I've decided is I'll spend the rest of August with the kids at summertime and, and school starting soon. And so September, I'm going to buckle down. I've, I've got a bunch of songs. I think it was 17 songs that are partially recorded already. So I'm always working on something. I'm always fiddling with the guitar and searching for those moments, you know. So I've got a bunch of stuff and I don't know how long it'll take, but I'll start in September and I'll do a, another Shins record. That's the next thing I'm working on. And then in between there, whenever there's time, Brian and I love to get together and work on Broken Bell stuff, you know, so I'll be doing both of those things over the next year. So at this point in your career, James, do you feel any pressure? A little, obviously, you know, I, yeah, I do. I think I'm at a stage now where I realize I need to work to maintain my sanity. So it's, it's that it's no longer like worrying about 
the mortgage payment or something so much. It's like, I enjoy it. It's really rewarding. And the devil finds work for idle hands or whatever, right? So <laughs> let's, let's keep James busy. Yeah. Well, we're glad that you keep busy because it's wonderful music. So when you look back at your repertoire over time, what is your personal favorite song that you've ever written? Oh my God. Whoa. That's interesting. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that. Good. I, I like to try <laughs> to break new ground. Yeah. Um, God. The song, The Fear, on the last record, Heartworms, I'm really proud of, I would say. But, you know, maybe that's just that thing because it's fresh. It's the last record. But I really do feel good about that. There are some lyrics in the song Pink Bullets that I think are probably, probably my strongest lyrics. So that's on Shoots Too Narrow. Very cool. Very, very yeah. cool. And what is on your bucket list of things to do? And and it doesn't need to be musically. Like, I'm just curious yeah. of in your life, what is something that just is gnawing at you that yeah. I got to do this? Well, I've had a couple instances where people flirted with the idea of me doing music for film. And I've done a little bit of that, but I guess I think it'd be cool to take that leap. It just, it, it seems like it would need to be the right project. And I know that it's pretty, it can be arduous, you know, that, that whole thing as things come down to editing and timing and you've got to rework the song for this and that. So yeah. I've been warned away from it by my friends who do a lot of film work, but I think that'd be cool. I just, I, I love the stuff that they end up doing for, for movies. And when it's the right movie, it's really neat, but yeah, I guess that's something that I feel like could be cool. And then are there any, like, what's in your playlist? The, the What's on endless loop for you right now? What's kind of your, oh, this, you know, this music is really speaking to me. You know what? I don't know why, but I never heard the Bob Dylan song, I Contain Multitudes, until just recently, and I can't stop listening to it. I don't know how I missed it, but yeah, it's really strong, and it's great to hear somebody, you know, because I think he did that, I don't know, what, five years ago or something? It's fairly new. So he's an old guy. And yeah. still really touching lyrics and, and, and fascinating. You know, he's, he's, he's so great because what he did was he turned the ultimate fear as a pop person or a rock and roll person is getting old, right? You're not relevant. You're old. Rock and roll is like this young thing. But he turned getting old into like this witchy thing. <laughs> and it's like he's even more badass. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, that, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. You know, for sure. And it is wonderful when there's – songs that resonate to you as people get in their, you know, older in their career. Yeah. Some of their later works too. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be that way. It's like sure. everybody evolves as a person and it's just a different phase. And yeah. so maybe it's different style of music, but it's yeah. still, it's a challenge. Need to be it's a yeah. challenge, you know, and I think I'm, I'm looking at this upcoming record that I'm going to do and I'm, I'm considering those facts, you know, it's like, I, it needs to feel right for me and in, in, at this stage in my life and, and all that. And so even production wise, I think it, it's going to be a little bit more stripped down and straightforward and more demure. Very cool. Well, James, listen, I really appreciate you joining and sharing those stories. It's very cool. It's very cool for me to hear. And I'm sure for everybody else out there. And, you know, you seem like a really, really good guy. Respect your artistry tremendously. Thank you. Hopefully that we'll see some special events or something, some ways that we fans can connect with you about Shoots Too Narrow and celebrating your 20th year because we want to applaud you and, <laughs> you know, do something like that. But thank you very much for joining the story behind the song. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. A fountain and a flower 
That was James Mercer of the Shins and Broken Bells, sharing his deeply personal stories behind his iconic and surrealistic songs, New Slang and Phantom Limb. I'm your host, Peter Chotty. You can follow me on Twitter at pchotty. That's P's and Peter. C like cat, S like Sam, A like apple, T like Tom, H like Harry, Y like yellow. And you can also find me at deepcutsmedia.biz, not .com, .biz. For more of the story behind the song, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in on the third Monday of every month for new episodes. And make sure you're also following the Consequence Podcast Network to keep up to date with all our series at consequence.net forward slash consequence dash podcast dash network. And as always, thanks for listening to the story behind the song. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.